From the University of Alberta Alumni Association, it's What the Job. I'm Matt Ray. Uh, so many jobs, so many traditional careers are being made uh, redundant or, or unnecessary. So that requires for uh, all workers to identify not what industry they're in, but what are my core capabilities and my natural gifts and talents? And how can I apply those in maybe the industry that I currently work in or more likely, a totally different industry and set of opportunities. Today, I'm joined by Todd Hirsch, the Vice President and Chief Economist for ATB. Todd talks about his career journey, some of the hard choices he's made, and some of the hard choices that were made for him. But mostly, we talk about the future of work. Will AI and automation steal our jobs? How do we navigate the new zigzag career path? And is universal basic income inevitable? Todd answers these questions and more in this episode of What the Job. What the Job is made possible with the support of our affinity partner, TD Insurance. Did you know that through the TD Insurance Mellish Monarchs program, University of Alberta alumni are entitled to preferred rates on car, home, condo, and renter's insurance? Save even more by bundling your car and home insurance. To learn more about how you can save, please visit tdinsurance.com slash alumni. So what's your name and what's your job? My name is Todd Hirsch, and I'm the Vice President and Chief Economist with ATB Financial. And what do you do for that job? I, I mean, no one can ever pin down what they do exactly, but what are some of the things? It's a great question. And when people hear, oh, a Chief Economist, what on earth does a Chief Economist do? I'm a little bit unique to other chief economists, I think. I would spend 60 to 70% of my time traveling around Alberta and, and outside of Alberta as well, the country, rest of Canada, talking about what is going on in our economy, some of the challenges we're seeing right now in Alberta, for sure, and some of these other big themes like the future of work and the economics of community, some of these big topics that I think are really important. So I spend a lot of my time doing public presentations and the rest of my time I spend probably like everybody else answering emails. I do some media stuff and uh, I put together some material that's a resource for the rest of my team members at ATB Financial. So is it kind of like trying to take the temperature of what's going on in terms of yeah, that's a good way to describe it. I shy away people when when people think, oh, an economist, you can, uh, you know, you're a fortune teller, you can see what's coming. I can't really. <laughs> uh, little known secret, I don't have a crystal ball, and no economist does. But taking the temperature of what's going on is, I think, a good way to put it. Uh, right now, some of the challenges we're seeing in Alberta, obviously, with our energy sector, you know, we're not the same province economically as we were six years ago. But we're transitioning to something new. And my job is to help people make sense of what that something new might look like. And maybe the topic of what we're talking about this afternoon, how we can navigate our way through a work world that is changing very rapidly. Yeah, later on, after we record this, you're going to do a talk on the future of work. That's right. Yeah. What's, what's, what's that all about? What is the future of work? Robots going to do our jobs? That basically it? I'll talk of, definitely, I'll talk about robots and artificial intelligence and uh, automation. 
Um, when we think about robots, I think there is a bit of a disconnect in a lot of people's minds because they hear so much about robots and AI taking all our jobs. But when we look around us, we don't tend to see a lot of robots moving around us. Maybe in a manufacturing or an assembly line, there might be robotics. But for the most, the rest of us, we don't really see a lot of robots. And it leaves people a bit confused or disconnected with, well, what do we really mean then about robots taking our jobs? And I think what's happening, it's not necessarily for most of us that robots are taking our jobs, but really more automated systems and artificial intelligence and learning uh, processes are making a lot of jobs simply unnecessary. So they're eliminating a lot of traditional jobs. They're creating some new jobs, but I think we tend to focus as humans on the jobs that are being lost and what does this mean for those workers and, and where are they going to find work and what about the rest of us and everything is changing so rapidly and it leaves people feeling a little bit anxious and I, I get the, the anxiety around it but it's not so much that robots are taking our jobs it's more that automated processes are making those jobs just unnecessary. Has this sort of always been a trend? I mean, in terms of like labor always changing and constantly evolving, or are we at a time where there's a spike, where it's really changing rapidly? I think the answer to both those questions is yes. So at least when we look back over, you know, the history of, of modern economies, you know, Europe, North America, over the last two or 300 years, there have always been waves of disruptive technology that have come around. And every single time that's happened, there's been anxiety. You know, we think about the Luddites who smashed all the, the machinery in industrial age uh, England because they foresaw that their jobs were going to be eliminated. And they were right. So there's always been some anxiety around disruptive technologies replacing jobs. In the past, however, every single time there's been a disruptive technology, in the wake of that disruption, there's always been new jobs and new industries that have come up. This time around, now that we're in the early 21st century, this time we're also seeing new waves of disruptive technologies, artificial intelligence, robotics we've talked about. I think there too we will see in the wake of this new jobs and new industries. But what is different this time is the pace of the, the rate of change that we're, that we're seeing this. This isn't happening over a hundred years. This is happening over a decade or maybe even years or in some in industries even months. How rapidly those jobs are being made redundant by these new technologies. So in some ways this isn't anything new. A disruptive technology eliminates jobs, but new industries and jobs come around. But in many ways, this is new simply because we have not seen a, a rate of change this fast. How do people stay relevant or versatile in a career landscape that changes so rapidly? How do they stay relevant? Um, that's a great question. I think that's what a lot of us are sort of grappling with. I think the most important skill or attribute for workers uh, of any point in their in their career, even if they're starting or if they're near the end of their career, we have to be flexible and adaptable to be able to take advantage of, of new opportunities when they come around. That's the only way we're going to be able to be relevant uh, and remain relevant is being able to pivot. And I know I'm not the first one to talk about this. I mean, everyone is talking about flexible and adaptable and how we have to take advantages 
where new opportunities arise. Uh, but even if I'm not the first one to say this, it really is true. Uh, so many jobs, so many traditional careers are being made uh, redundant or, or unnecessary. So that requires for uh, all workers to identify not what industry they're in, but what are my core capabilities and my natural gifts and talents, and how can I apply those in maybe the industry that I currently work in, or more likely, a totally different industry and set of opportunities. So the metaphor I like to use back in the 20th century when I was coming out of uh, the University of Alberta, and like a lot of grads at the time, we went into this understanding of employment and career. It's a straight shot. You know, you, you pick a major and you graduate with that degree. And, and then the idea is, well, now you find a job in that industry and your career is expected to more or less be a, a, a straight line uh, until you retire. Today, it is a zigzag line. And uh, I think we're in trouble if we assume that whatever major we you know, follow or pursue as an undergrad or grad student, we're delusional if we think, well, it's going to, I'm going to work now in this industry for 40 years. You might, but you're not likely to. More likely, you're going to have to take your skills and your core competencies and be able to apply those in different, uh, in some ways, radically different opportunities in different industries. It's a different world. I mean, my, my father worked in the same factory, in the same job for 55 years. Yeah, like, mine did too. And, you know, for him, that was a possibility, but it just seems so unlikely now. It, I, I suppose it's possible, but it would be very, I think, very much the exception for a young person starting a, a job or a career today to end his or her career, say in 40 or 50 years, in the same industry, never mind the same company. Uh, I think that will be very exceptional. But you look back, you know, 40, 50, 60 years ago, that was both normal and it was also an expectation. There was an assumption that, well, you start this job in this industry, I'm a dentist or I'm a, uh, a mechanic or I'm a nurse, the expectation was, well, that's my career, and I'm going to follow that through. Today, it's very, very different. But the competencies and the skills that you've picked up from your degree, whether or not your degree is some sort of more or less vocational straight shot, as we call it, towards a job, those can be flexible and used in different uh, career avenues. Absolutely. And I think this is where we're starting to wrap our heads around you know, our competencies rather than maybe the knowledge that we would have learned in school. And again, going back to the 20th century, the whole purpose of going to a university or a polytechnic or a trade school was to you know, gain knowledge, have four years of, of information pounded into your head, and now I'm going to start applying that knowledge. Here's what I've learned, and I'm going to do this for 40 years. Now, it's not so much the knowledge that we learn, it's more, are we learning how to learn? Because I'm going to have to take what I'm good at doing naturally, that might be working with people, that might be um, managing systems or project management, it might be um, um, writing, it might be you know, verbal communication, whatever it's going to be, how can I take those, maybe applying the skills that I've learned in university. But how can I apply those in any number of shifting uh, opportunities that come up? 
Yeah, it's really fascinating to think about. Uh, and, you know, even uh, my own background in taking English as a degree, um, you don't even, you don't really even think about the kind of skills that you're developing along the way. But they are transferable and applicable. And, you know, as we've been doing this podcast, a lot of the people we talk to have come from, you know, from a science degree and now they're working in restaurants or, um, and, but they still see connections between what they used to do and what they do now. So if you are someone who is, I mean, let's say you're an early in your undergrad and you are thinking about a career, should you still plan like this is the education I need to get to get to that career? Or is it important to think, maybe talk to people in that line of work and think about what kind of skills they use or maybe both? I guess both. I mean, the more talking you do with people and, and trying to understand how their careers and their employment has evolved, the more of that we do, the better. But um, as we start to think about uh, the skills that we're gaining in our undergrad degree, rather than just the information that we're gaining. It's more the skills that are important. The information is almost secondary. And this is why I tell a lot of young people, especially those that are starting university or college or whatever, you know, they, they come to me for some reason as if I know the answer to this, but they, you know, they I ask, was hoping you did for today. <laughs> well, they ask, well, what program should I, I take at, at university? What's going to get me a really good job? You know, what, what department or what, what should I pick as my major? And I always tell them, worry about it a little bit, but don't worry too much. It's more important, much more important, first of all, that you pursue something you're interested in. Otherwise, you're not likely to do well in it. Pick something you're interested in, not where you think is going to be the biggest paycheck. And then it's the skills that you pick up as you are going through that degree, not necessarily the knowledge. And in a lot of cases, especially some of the science or the technical uh, applications, what you're learning in year one may be completely outdated by year four when you graduate. So don't get too caught up in, you know, obviously you want to learn the information and do well on, in, in your courses. But focus more on the soft skills that you are picking up, the you know, managing timelines, working with people and working in groups. Are you a good communicator? Are you empathetic to those around you? Are you a team player that you, know, you can um, understand how important it is to work in groups? Those things are actually, in, in a lot of ways, more important than the actual data or information that you might be learning and studying. So focus more on the skills that you're gaining, the interpersonal skills, the soft skills that you're gaining. Worry about your major a little bit. Don't worry too much. It's more important that you start something and complete it. But when you come out of university, the, the biggest advice I can give to people is cast your net broadly. You know, when you're looking for opportunities, if your degree is in anthropology or if it's in uh, economics or if it's in, you know, biosciences, don't look just for jobs in those fields. You might find one and that might be great. More likely you're not going to find one. But if you cast your net really broadly, you might be able, you will be able to find all kinds of great career opportunities in really, really different fields that you might not have expected. That makes a lot of sense. And I think it really plays with uh, what we hear a lot on this podcast about the soft skills versus the hard skills. I always wonder is how do people develop soft skills? Because uh, it's difficult. Like, how do you develop a greater sense of empathy? How do you, how do you develop 
those intercommunication skills that you need to get along with the team? That's a really great question. And it's a little bit outside of my field of, of, yeah. of knowledge. But my guess is some of it is natural. Some people are just naturally empathetic. Some people are natural communicators. Some people are natural humorists. Uh, some people are natural storytellers. But I do think that it's possible to learn or at least improve in all of those soft skills. Uh, the more you associate with people, the more you work with people around you, the better you're going to get at those soft skills. And that's why uh, it's really important, for example, when you are pursuing your degree, when you are at a university or college, you know, get involved with things outside of your department. Get involved with clubs on campus and, you know, get involved in volunteer work. In the past, when I've been... Uh, had the opportunity to hire people and I look at people's resumes, you know, applicants who come through the door and I do a short list, you know, set of interviews. You know, I'm more interested in, you know, okay, they did a good GPA in their undergrad degree or whatever, four-year degree in whatever it is, you know, you look at the grades, but I'm way more interested in other activities. What else have you been involved in? Tell me about the clubs that you got involved with on campus. Tell me about the volunteer stuff. Tell me about the sports or arts and culture that you're engaged in, because those things are going to give me a better indication. Has this person really done the heavy work in developing the soft skills? A 4.0 GPA is, is great, but if they don't come with the soft skills of being able to communicate well and, and work on a team and, and work with humor and all of those things that you develop by you know, working with people, on, on clubs and volunteer stuff. That's really what I'm more interested in as a, a person hiring somebody. And volunteering is such a great way to build, build skill sets and apply uh, the things that you've learned. Yeah. Uh, can we talk a little bit about your career journey? Yeah, for sure. Uh, so you got a BA from the University yep. of Guelph, or University, you got a BA from the University of Alberta. I went yes, to the University of Guelph. Um, what did you do after that? So I graduated from the University of Alberta in 1989, which makes me feel really old. And my plan was actually to uh, go to McMaster University, where I had been accepted to do a master's degree in Hamilton. Uh, but I had a job opportunity. And listeners have to remember, if they're, if they're old enough to remember the 80s, they will know the job market in the 80s was way worse in Alberta than it is today. Really? I mean, it's terrible now. But the jobs in, in 1989 for, you know, summer jobs, they were, they were really bad. The year previous, 1988, my summer job literally was, I worked at 7-Eleven. That, that was my summer job. But in 1989, I had this amazing summer job opportunity in Calgary. And growing up in Edmonton, I mean, I was an Edmonton boy. In a lot of ways, I still am. But, you know, you grow up in Edmonton believing you hate Calgary. And now I was faced with a dilemma. It's like, oh, I have this really good research job at, at an organization called the Canada West Foundation, uh, which is still going strong. But I had a great opportunity to, uh, it was a summer research position in Calgary. So it was too good of a job to turn down. So I said, well, I'll, I'll plug my nose for four months. I'll move to Calgary. How bad could it be? And uh, it turned out to be a great summer opportunity. And in fact, uh, I enjoyed the work there so much that at the end of my four-year summer, uh, the, or four-month four summer, the, uh, 
people I worked with at Canada West Foundation, they asked if I wanted to stay on in the fall in a part-time research position. And I thought that sounded like a pretty good idea. So I put off my grad studies for a year, and I didn't go off to uh, Hamilton that, uh, that fall. I stayed here in Calgary and worked, and always intending to go back and, and do my master's. And then the year I was here in Calgary working, I made some connections with some people in the Department of Economics at the University of Calgary. So I thought, well, actually, things are going pretty well here. I ended up staying in Calgary doing my master's, uh, stayed working at the Canada West Foundation, and now 31 years later, I'm still in Calgary. So I often describe myself as an accidental Calgarian because I never intended to move here. <laughs> I guess that's a good excuse if you're from Edmonton to be like it was an accident. It is. And I'm still an Oilers fan. And I have a deep love actually for both cities, my hometown of Edmonton and my adopted home uh, town now of Calgary. Uh, it, I really like this idea of just taking the opportunity and going with it and seeing where it goes. And it seems to apply so much to what you were just talking about in terms of like the future of work. Sometimes you have to go where the opportunities lead you and feel out where it can lead. That's right. And, you know, in the past, we've, we've put a lot of emphasis on, you know, setting goals and being really, really focused. And, you know, some of that is, is true without doubt. But there's also something to be said with being flexible and taking advantage of opportunities that might come up. And there's a little bit of a tension in those two bits of advice. The one advice is be focused in your career. You know, don't let anything sort of shiny objects or squirrels distract you from that. And the other bit of advice being be flexible and, and look for opportunities where they come up. They're almost opposite pieces of advice and they're both true at the same time it really takes some wisdom and discernment to know when to focus and when to flex and that is you know that's sort of the game of life that everyone goes through uh, trying to understand when to do the right thing yeah I mean weighing an opportunity is a difficult decision yeah and you can become so focused on a singular goal that you can miss all kinds of opportunities that are waving your, their hands right in your face. Uh, so, but again, you know, there is something to be said for goal setting, but there's also something to be said for don't be so focused on your goal that you're going to miss great opportunities. Do you ever think about what your life would be like if you went to Oh, Hamilton? I think about that all the time. What yeah. do you, where do you think you'd be? Well, my guess is life would have probably unfolded in an amazing way too. Had I gone off, uh, to McMaster, um, who knows what would have happened? You know, I, I, a firm enough believer that, you know, there's not just one route. Uh, if you're a positive-minded person and you work hard and you get along, play well with others in the, in the playground, uh, that life opens up and opportunities will, will have been created. So I don't ever think for a minute, oh, it's a good thing I didn't go off to McMaster University because things might have, obviously they would have been different, but they might have been you know, just as good, maybe even, maybe even better. But where I'm at right now in my career and where in my life, uh, it's, you know, I'm 53 years old. When I graduated from the University of Alberta, I don't think I thought this is what I was going to be doing, but I love what I'm doing now and, and where life has brought me. Yeah. Sometimes I think when people, uh, consider opportunities and how the opportunities shape them, they, they don't also think about the agency that they have in those opportunities yeah. and the way that, it is their own skill and their own character and their own strengths that also shape their journey. Yeah, that's right. I've often used the image, 
of a Plinko or um, what's the Japanese pinball game? It has a different name. But I think a lot of people, listeners, will know uh, these pinball machines where all the little steel marbles start at the top and they fall, they drop their way uh, through all the little pegs. And every time it hits a peg, it's got to go one way or the other. It's unpredictable. It's really random which way it's going to go. But everything ends up falling to the bottom and, you know, landing in a good spot. So that's why I never, you know, you have to... The, the challenge in life is to, when a decision comes, am I going to this university or that, or am I going to take this job or, you know, go and travel abroad? You have to make those decisions. But I always say, make a smart, make a wise decision, give it some thought, but don't freak out too much about if you're making a terrible mistake, because again, if you're positive and you work hard, opportunities are going to come up. It's curious too, because I think the shape of the decision changes as you get older. It's a lot, it's a lot harder to make a decision at uh, say 45 than it would be at 24. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And you know, where I'm at in life at 53, um, life isn't, you know, I've still have decisions ahead of me too. And some of them might be pretty tough and I've had to make really tough decisions and I've been laid off twice in my career and that's been horrible. Uh, and you know, Speaking of being laid off of a job, so many people in Alberta right now have been laid off. And I would never ever want to tell this to somebody who's just been laid off, but I really do believe it is actually probably one of the, the best things that can happen to somebody for a couple of reasons. One, if you experience being laid off of a job, for one thing, it gives you an enormous amount of empathy for other people who might be laid off. The other reason why I, I think it's important or valuable is that when you are laid off a job, you become very aware that as a, as a person, you are so much more than just that job. And the longer you tend to do a job, the more naturally we become attached to it. And we almost, you know, our personality becomes entrenched in that job. And that's why so many people, including me in the times I've been laid off, you know, we feel we're in free fall. Like, how could this happen? That job was, was everything. But you realize, well, actually, it's lousy to be laid off, especially the loss of income. But you realize that, in fact, you are so much more. You have so many more opportunities and so many more other personal strengths and, and characteristics that can take you all kinds of places that that one job probably wasn't going to lead you. Yeah, and your, your worth is never just your job, nor is your identity. That's right. And in some ways, I don't know if it's, it's this might be a, a sexist thing to say, but yeah, I think it's harder for, for men sometimes, especially if they've been in a single job for a long, long time. Uh, women tend to be, it's not that they're not committed to their jobs, but they tend to have a, a bit more of a social network around them. They tend to be a bit more flexible when it comes that way. A lot of men, especially as we get older, you know, we, I think about my dad, you know, he was laid off of his, his job of 37 years. Um, everybody he knew worked at that company and he didn't have a resume dusted off and he didn't have skills to pivot easily into different career opportunities. He had to work pretty hard, you know, to find something else to do. But that's why, uh, you know, again, I don't wish unemployment or, or a layoff notice on anybody. And I wouldn't want to tell them to their face, this is the best thing that's happened to you because they're going to want to punch me in the face <laughs> <laughs> um, because it is lousy. But uh, almost in almost every situation I know, when people look back and they reflect 
on unemployment or a job loss, they'll look back at it and say, boy, actually, that was the best thing that could have happened to me at the time. Didn't feel like it at that moment, but my life actually unfolded in, in whole new ways that it wouldn't have had I stayed at that one job. And I think sometimes people need need a change and they don't realize it, you know? Yeah, that's right. And, and unemployment is a very, or a, a job loss is a very unpleasant way, but to experience, you know, being pushed out of a nest and and you, you got to learn to fly in a different direction. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good way to put it. I, you know, it's just uh, wild to think about, uh, thinking about your father, like getting laid off, uh, you know, and my own dad, I couldn't even imagine. Because I think one of the reasons that he stayed in that career is that stability, you know, we, we talk about gender in these roles, I think, uh, at least for that generation, and still in some ways, I think we're more, more progressive in some ways, is that uh, when you have to be the provider. So your your job is irrelevant. It just has to be whatever you get the most money to do. And That's mental right. health is not something we ever would talk about never. <laughs> in that kind of... Never. We never talked about mental health back... Well, I shouldn't say never, but, you know, certainly in the in the 70s or 80s, you know, sort of when my father was in, in his career, no one... No one talked about mental health then. No one talked about stress or depression or very rare. That's why I think in a lot of ways, uh, the world might seem like an angry, sad place today, but I think in so many ways, we're in a better spot because now in 2020, it is common for people in, in businesses and in industries and in universities. It's common. In fact, it's necessary that we talk about mental health. Same way we would talk about physical health. And now we're finally starting to be more open and uh, comfortable talking about mental health. And I think it's really valuable, really important. Oh, me too. And it's taken so long. And and I talked to a lot of guests too about the stress of their job. A lot of them work some high stress jobs and it's, oh, yeah. it's difficult and you need to be able to talk about it. Yeah. You need an avenue for that. Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about your, more about your career path and yeah. how you got to where you, where you, how did you end up uh, where you are now? How did I, how did this all happen? So uh, I worked at the Canada West Foundation after I finished my master's degree at UCalgary. I stayed on at Canada West as a senior research associate until 1997. And then actually that was one of the jobs I got laid off uh, only because I had outgrown the position. And my, my boss, the president of, of Canada West at the time, he really was doing me a favor, although it sure didn't feel like it at the time. But, you know, I basically went to him and I said, you know, I've been doing this job for, for this many years and I think I was making $28,000. Like it was just a pittance. And I said, I think I, I need a salary adjustment. I've got a master's degree. I've got seven years of experience. And he said, you are absolutely right. You deserve way more than $28,000 a year. And that's why I'm terminating your position. <laughs> you know, and I, I felt like saying, no, 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 this isn't the way this conversation was supposed to go. But he was, in a figurative sense, he was kicking me out of the nest. He knew that I had outgrown that position. He, you know, the reality was they, they as a not-for-profit research group, they weren't in a position to pay researchers anymore. They needed some junior researchers uh, that they would be able to pay less. I had outgrown that. So I was kicked out of the nest. My world you know, felt like it was unraveling, but I was able to get a job at Canadian Pacific Railway. It was the time from 1997 when CP Rail was moving its head office from Montreal to Calgary. And I was one of the new hires that got uh, that they brought on here in Calgary. I was a business analyst uh, for the, the commercial group, one of the commercial groups, and later I was in uh, a 
sort of putting together some reports and data analysis. And I did that until 2001. Uh, then I went and worked for the Bank of Canada, which was a great experience. I was here in the Calgary Prairie Regional Office, so I wasn't in Ottawa, but I had a chance to be in Ottawa with my other um, co-workers at the Bank of Canada uh, fairly often. Amazing experience. Honestly, I worked with some of the smartest people that I will ever know working at the Bank of Canada. But ultimately, it wasn't my uh, long-term home either. Um, and then eventually I came to uh, ATB Financial and was brought on as the chief economist in 2007. And that's where I've been ever since. What, so you've been doing this for a little more than 10 years. And what have you noticed um, in terms of uh, what's changed in these 10 years? Oh, a lot has changed both with ATB Financial, uh, but all, a lot has changed with you know the, the province of Alberta and our economy as well. In the 12 years I've been at ATB, you know, we have, as a province, we've gone through two really nasty recessions. People kind of tend to forget about the recession of 2009, which was an even deeper recession than 2015 and 2016. What was different about 2009 is that recession was deep, but it was short. 2010, everything came roaring back. I often joke, if you had a a good nap one Sunday afternoon in 2009, you might have missed the whole thing. <laughs> 2015 and 2016, nobody missed those two years of back-to-back -back recession. So uh, the province has been through a lot of ups and downs in the last 12 years. My role at ATB Financial has changed over the last 10 years or 12 years. Uh, when I started at, uh, in 2007, um, the expectation, the job description that they gave me was that, you know, I might do maybe two or three public presentations or speaking presentations, two or three a month. But that actually has been the piece of my job that has really taken off because I think I'm pretty good at it. I think I'm a pretty good communicator. And it's one of those examples of, you know, do as many things as you can and the cream's going to rise to the top. The things that you're really good at doing, that's where you're going to find success. So now rather than two or three a month, I would do probably five or six presentations a week. Um, all around the province, uh, and I love doing it. it. It really is the favorite thing that I enjoy doing, but it's one of those things, if you do it often enough, you get good at it. It doesn't stress me out to do it, um, but it's practice, you know. The more you practice something, the better you get. So that's been the biggest thing that's changed in my job is, is how much emphasis I now place and time I, I put into public speaking. Mm -hmm. It's it's funny that you do that five or six a week because I'm sure there are people who are just terrified. <laughs> they are, yeah. I would never want to do that, you know. There's that old line that um, uh, public speaking is the thing that people fear more than death. So I know. At yeah, a funeral, they'd rather, they'd rather die than speak at their cousin's wedding or yeah. you know, whatever it is. But yeah. Yeah. Well, but, you know, you learn to do it and you, you're clearly a good speaker. And, uh, uh, you know, it's great to have you on the show today. We're going to do the lightning round. Okay. Uh, which is... Brought to you by our affinity partner, TD Insurance. Um, so this, this is just a series of questions. And you just, whatever comes to your mind first. Okay. Have you ever been fired? You've been laid off. But have you ever been fired from a job? I have never been fired from a job. You know what? Few people that come on the show have been fired. <laughs> Only a couple of people. It's kind of funny. But I have been laid off twice. Never fired. Um, when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? Well, that's a funny question. I used to, my, the, the pat answer I would give is a millionaire. Because I watched Gilligan's Island, and I thought Thurston Howell, had the millionaire, I thought that was a job. And I thought that looked pretty fun. 
Um, but I'm not a millionaire and, you know, it's not a job. But I, I think when I was a, a teenager, I wanted to be an architect. That was something oh, cool. that I wanted to do. And when you got into university? Well, I, only, I, I went into math in university only because math was my best subject in high school. So I thought, oh, okay, I guess I'll, I'll take math. And then in my second year of math, in, at the U of A, I realized I'm actually not very good, at, not as good at math as, I, as the rest of these students are. And that's when I shifted, you know, I pivoted. I shifted my uh, uh, major to economics and, and finished my degree in that. What's something that uh, people might not know about your job? Uh, they might not know about actually how little I deal with numbers. People think I'm a real numbers guy. I would have thought you were. Yeah. And people are often, and a lot of economists, to be honest, they do work with numbers an awful lot. And different roles I've had in the past as an economist, I would have spent more time with numbers. Today, I actually don't spend a lot of time uh, with spreadsheets and models. I have a couple of people on my team, my economics team at ATB, that do that. But I spend very little time with numbers, and I spend more of my time um, with qualitative ideas about the economy and trying to communicate those verbally and, and in a written form. Oh, that's kind of fascinating. Um, it's nice to see that economics is such like a, a holistic and wide field, right? That takes in it, all those it practices. It really is, yeah. People think it's one thing, but it can be, you can have a career in economics that is very, very different. Yeah. Hmm. Um, what advice do you have for someone who feels like they're in a career rut? Whew. Um, well, it would be easy to say, you know, just quit your job and, and do something else. But that may or may not be good advice, you know, depending on where you're at in, in your life. If you have dependents, for example, or a mortgage, or, you know, your life is set up in a certain way, you may not have the, uh, the liberty to just say, I'm going to quit this job. But if you're stuck in a rut in your job, I would say, you know, try, go to your, your bosses or your managers and say, you know, I want to blow up this role. I want to do something bigger with this role. That's actually what I did in 2019 with my role. I wouldn't describe myself as being in a rut, but I went to uh, my bosses and I said, I want to, I'm ready to take on some bigger ideas and bigger thoughts as an economist. And they love the idea. Um, if that doesn't work, yeah, polish off your resume and, and start looking for opportunities in different industries because the world is full of them. I think people forget sometimes that um, their supervisors or whoever they report to, uh, you know, want them to be happy in their job and want them to do good work. So. They should, if it's a good company. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you would hope so. Uh, if you weren't doing this, what, uh, what kind of job do you think you'd be doing? If I wasn't an economist, now, you know, at this point in my career, um, if I wasn't an economist, I still think I would be a public speaker of some sort. I might be in media, I might be a journalist, I might be somebody who... Um, maybe is, is, is on radio or, or television. But I think my natural skill and ability, and I did not know this at 23, but at 53, I think I'm a pretty good verbal communicator. So I would be doing something in communication somehow. When do you think it, it clicked for you that this was something you're good at? It was probably when I had started at ATB, or maybe even when I was at the Canada West Foundation doing some public presentations just because I could never figure out why are people so terrified of doing this? As long as you're prepared, you know, you have to put some work into preparing it. But uh, I think it was fairly early on, but it wasn't until maybe the last five or 10 years where I really realized. So I, by that, you know, I was in my 40s. Uh, so I often tell people who are in their 20s, if you don't really know yet what your natural ability is, don't freak out. 
you're going to find it. Do a lot of things. And again, what you're good at doing, that's what's going to rise to the top. Yeah, I think sometimes it takes people time to realize what their skills are. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite thing about your job? The favorite thing about my job is the number of people I get to meet across Alberta and across the country. Really interesting people. I mean, one day I might be talking to farmers in Lethbridge, and the very next day I'm talking to the CEOs of some of the biggest companies in Canada and everything in between. And how all of those people, it doesn't matter who they are, they all have passion for their country. They all have passion for the industries that they're in. Uh, many of them are fearful. Uh, many of them are optimistic, but they all have a unique perspective. And I love, that's the favorite thing is that I, I love hearing and, and being able to talk to one-on-one -on -one different people. If you could go back in time and talk to yourself right after you graduated, do you have any advice you'd from give university? yourself? Yeah. Uh, oh, that's a really good question. Let's advice. say from your undergrad. Yeah. Yeah. Advice I would give to myself. Maybe it's the advice I, I give to young people now, you know, don't, freak out too much about what's coming next. I know at 23, when I had finished, I probably was, you know, anxious about where, what job am I going to get? Or, you know, because really when I finished at the U of A, uh, other than the summer job I had, my, my job was at Earl's Restaurant, you know, which by the way, this is a whole other topic, but I think jobs in the service sector, everyone should wait on tables at least once in their life. And you can build a whole career out of that. But uh, so I would tell myself, don't be afraid of a job in the service sector. Don't be afraid of working at 7-Eleven or Earl's. Uh, again, be positive and, and uh, work hard and get along well with others and opportunity is going to open up. I think that's the advice I'd give to my 23-year-old self. <laughs> that's fantastic. The last thing I wanted to talk to you about, uh, just because you're talking about the future of work, is, is the idea of a future without work. Like the idea of like a universal income or something yeah. like that. Is that a possibility? Is that a thing? Oh, absolutely. I'm going to be talking about universal basic income tonight. Um, I think some form of it is almost inevitable. And I don't know as an economist if I'm ready to, you know, put my neck out and say, uh, you know, I'm, I'm supportive of one because there's a lot of questions about it. Exactly what does it look like and how does it work? And are we taking away incentive for people to work hard and are, are we, you know, encouraging laziness? All of these things that generally, you know, when people are opposed to it, these arguments that they trot out. But I think in some ways it, it's an inevitability, I think. And I think we need to start a conversation about it. I don't think we should just, you know, sort of like whack-a-mole, crush the idea every time somebody brings it up. We might need more pilot projects on it. And I think it's a real shame the one in Ontario that had started, you know, got canceled because that's the only way we learn is through pilot projects, especially big experiments like this. But whatever it looks like in the future, I think some form of it is inevitable. And that's why if, if we, you know, agree on it or not, I think we need to start talking about it and uh, testing pilot projects on it and designing it in the best way that we can. Yeah, that's it. It is a fascinating and bold future it is, that we absolutely. hurtle towards. I look, but I remain positive. Yeah, I think that's all you can do. I yeah. look forward to hearing you talk about it. Um, and thanks so much for coming on the show today. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you for having me. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of What the Job. And thanks to our guest, Todd Hirsch, for sharing his story and expertise. Before we go, let me remind you to check out UAlberta Switchboard. 
Whether you're looking for a new job, a mentor in your field, or volunteer experience to enhance your resume, Switchboard has you covered. It's kind of like Kijiji for jobs, and best of all, it's free. Give it a try at uab.ca slash sboard. Thanks for listening. For What the Job, I'm Matt Ray. See you next time.